you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, stunted growth. One of the market's most rock-steady names is losing steam. One of our traders set to reveal the name and tell us how low this tech titan could fall. Plus, Disney's Blue Monday, the less than Bafo box office performance of Avatar, just the latest bit of bad news to hit the struggling Dow component. Is there anything Bob Iger can do to stop the slide? And later, the options action on a biotech stock that jumped 250% today. GBTC's next steps if their crypto ETF push fails and Tesla's new Twitter twist. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live with the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feiderman, Steve Grasso, Julie Beal, and Chris Verones from, from Strategus, a bear cunt, bear to company. Excuse me. We start off with the big growth trade conundrum. All the pieces that should be supporting the sector seem to be falling into place lately. First, investor rates, interest rates have been dropping sharply. The yield on 10-year Treasury is down 75 basis points from its October high. Traditionally, lower rates are good for growth stocks. Then there's a dollar, also down, almost 9%, in fact, since September. And inflation. Signs emerging that pricing pressures are abating. The consumer price index lower five months in a row now. All of that should give a boost to the growth trade, but not this time. The ARK Innovation ETF, for example, losing two-thirds of its value already this year and hitting an all-time low today. And it's not just the highly speculative names that are struggling. Apple dropping more than a percent and a half today and is now just 2% from June lows. One of our traders tonight has a stark warning about just how much lower this one-time tech stalwart could go. Let's go to Chris Verone and his charts. Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, yeah, I think it's such a great lead because when we think about what's happened over the last week, everything has been so bullish for growth stocks, but they can't respond to it. Over the last two months, you have rates down, you have dollar down, you have softer inflation, but the big weights, especially Apple, unable to respond here. And I think what's really notable, the street still hasn't changed its opinion of the stock yet. There's 45 analysts who cover Apple. The stock's down 30 or 40 percent from the highs. You still have 37 of 45 analysts and a price target of $173. Everyone is still a buy on the name. I think you have to see more pessimism come into the name before it's buyable. We think that happens lower. And you know, when you consider the longer term picture here of what the chart uh, is actually telling us. You know, here's the last two years. I mean, this looks like one big rolling top formation to us. I thought breaking below that 135 level, which has been support really all year, is a very important development today, closing 132 spot, 37. And, you know, when you take a a little bit of a longer step back, look at the last four or five years here uh, when it comes to the Apple name. Think 12-31-19, before COVID, the stock was $75. So many of these pe- big tech names have simply returned to where they were pre-COVID. That's 75 to 100 for Apple. And you know, if we take a step back and just look bigger picture, these names, these big tech names, these big growth weights are still too big. This is the combined weight of the six largest issues on 123121 uh, uh, at the start uh, of this year. They're still 25% of the S&P. I think ultimately this goes lower. These bear markets don't end until the best names get hit. That's Apple for us. I like 100. 100. All right, Chris, make your way back to the desk. Steve Grasso, what do you, what do you think of this forecast? Yeah, so, so I do like that how Chris finished off that because the, that's how you know that people are throwing out everything. When they sell what they love, when they sell the, the real rock of Gibraltar names, that's Apple. They haven't done that yet. Amazon is at the COVID level. Apple's not. Yeah. Nowhere near near it. So Apple was what fifty something. I know that you had said it before, but it, you're talking about pre-COVID levels. I'm talking about the COVID low was in the high fifties sure. for Apple. People, if that were the case, where would the market be? Oh. I mean, right? so, much lower. M- much lower. But if you, if you look at the last time that Apple was at this level, or if it goes to 100, the S&P was at 3,200, 3,250, 3,300. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the street that's negative has those targets in for the S&P. Right. Well, that's how you get there. It has right. to come from the big weights because we've already seen the marginal weights, the ARC stocks, mm-hmm. the smaller cap names down 50, 60, 70 this year. So it's not coming from there anymore. 
when you look at the top of the market, these big growth stocks, rates down, dollar down, softer inflation, softer growth, that should have been the perfect cocktail for these names to work. They've given us nothing here. When the market doesn't respond like the consensus believes it should, that's a really important message. So I think the weakness in that is telling us that something with the macro is still not right here. Karen, would you sell? Would I sell? Um, no, but I, I understand what you're saying. I do think that the uh, the buy side, the sell side, rather being all positive, positive uh-huh. is a negative. Yeah, right. Because there's no incremental new positive to come in. So I and and we're going to see some negatives. I do just want to push back a little on how much money they have made since right over the last several years. That's one thing. And the second is. The business has changed somewhat, right? We know services was really very not, it was pretty marginal. Now it's becoming a much bigger part of the business. And so to me, that seems like it deserves somewhat of a higher multiple. But do you feel like those two factors in what you're looking at don't matter? No, I'm not asking sarcastically. They may not matter at all. Well, I, I think, number one, when we look at the picture, right, the chart's not pretty. But let's talk about it from a multiple perspective. I still think trading 21, 22 times next year, which is above a market multiple of 17, 18 times here. So it's still trading at a premium with all the China exposure. I would be of the view if you have big China exposure, you should be trading at a discount to the S&P here. So it's it's. Um, I think some inconvenient messages like that that leave us more on the bearish side uh, of the stock. Which a lot of us have been saying for a while that stocks that that have significant exposure to China should trade at some sort of a discount for some time. And just because China has opened up, it doesn't mean that their China woes in terms of um, their exposure, you know, in manufacturing there or just to the consumer there, which may be impacted by COVID. I mean, that certainly doesn't go away. Julie, where where would you stand here on Apple? It does make sense as the market overall. If we believe that there should be a reset on valuations overall, that it's got to come from the biggest part of the markets so that has to join in on this fund. Yeah, I agree. It has to be a part of the of the situation in terms of especially what I would expect in terms of the earnings revisions. And, you know, I think investors today are recognizing that not all tech is the same and a maker of cell phones, thousand dollar cell phones could be really challenged in the next year if consumers continue to get softer and softer. So I personally think it's just a recognition of the fundamentals. That said, I agree that it's one of the highest quality names and its businesses move towards stickier services. So I wouldn't be a seller at this level, but I do recognize that I think that's why we haven't seen the stock work really well in the face of better you know, indicators like inflation and, and a dollar. Chris, what other large cap tech stocks need to join in on the party that haven't already? Well, I'll make two points. Uh, number one, just on the idea that services are stickier. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. Uh, the service line. I, I agree with you. By the, the service way. line of Apple but is a kind of a, may not be a, a post 2008 phenomenon. So I, I don't think it's really stress tested in what a proper recession or slowdown um, may look like here. And you know, when you talk about the big weights. Microsoft has largely escaped much of the selling here. Again, I I keep going back to the idea you don't get through these bear markets until the best ones get hit. So I would put Microsoft still in that camp here as well. Well, I have one little add on to this. So Apple is included in 299 ETFs. And they have in the top three or four, they have an above 20 percent rating Mm -hmm. in those ETFs. So when you start you real, mean, uh, above 20 percent of the holding? just Apple of the weight, yep. oh, okay, okay. Of, yeah. of the weight inside, oh, inside that rating. ETF. Oh, sorry. No, no, uh, a waiting. So what happens when you get all that automatic for selling when people try to sell their Apple? Like a lot of times it mirrors one, it mirrors the other. It becomes a, you know, a, 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 it helps a on circuit. the way up. Exactly. So well, there's 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 two parts to this, and if we use the experience of the 2000, 2001, 2002 bear market, there were two phases to that bear market. The big weights underperformed on the way down. But then when the cycle turned, they also underperformed on the way up, right? So that you didn't go back to the, the same names as your leadership. So let's just say S&P bottom today. It's over. Bear market's over. That doesn't mean we're going back to Amazon, Apple, Meta, Google as your leadership on the other side of this. I think it's a really important point thinking about 23. So you can be wrong on the market call, but actually be right on the leadership. I, I, I mean, I, I totally see that. If you think about what we're returning to, why should we return to the same leadership if the environment is completely different, if money is no longer free, if inflation is higher than 2%? All of these things have changed. And so why should the market leadership be the same. Why should there be a reversion to that norm? 
Karen? Well, you know, if I look at so Google, my biggest position, mm -hmm. right? There has been a, a big move in Google down, uh, and I think that the valuation here is nowhere near what it was. And I think that the balance sheet is extraordinary. So I don't, I, I don't. Maybe it doesn't get the super premium that it got, but I still think that it is a. It absolutely deserves a premium. The market, the moat there is huge, and just looking at it on valuation, only on valuation. To me, it's very compelling. So maybe tech overall isn't a leader in the market, isn't the leadership, Julie, but maybe some tech stocks are still great. They will be leaders individually. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think, you know, your consumer-driven tech names were what really led us out of the pandemic. And I don't think they're going to be the best places to be in 2023. I would rather have smaller niche software businesses that are mission-critical and don't have the same level of regulatory scrutiny that these large tech players do have. I think they're better able to manage through a difficult environment and the stuff that they sell, you need it. Netflix, I love it, but I don't need it. When you look at it though, everyone, so here's the problem I have with new leadership. Where, where does it come from? So if you have, if you have well, let me finish, Parma. let me let finish. Me. Okay. So if, if, you, if you have, as I said, with the ETFs, they all own yeah. those top six names. So when more, more and more people are passively investing, so when they passively invest, they have to buy those six names in, in tech. They're not buying the esoteric, uh, you know, low cap names or market cap names. Where's it come from? Well, I think behaviorally, right, it's a lot easier for the large cap growth manager to say, okay, I'm going to get smaller in my Amazon and my Google and my Apple and I'll buy Bristol Myers or more. Like, that's a logical move into healthcare. And I think the charts have reflected that. But we've looked at this, right? If you look at the 10 largest stocks at the end of every decade, going back the last 100 years, they're not the 10 largest stocks 10 years Prior forward, decade. right? So, so um, which are the next 10 largest stocks? Don't, don't, we find, <laughs> don't we find it really curious how well the industrials act through all of this, right? Those used to be a much larger weight in the S&P. So if we're looking right. to identify candidates on the other side of this, let's at least put that on the list of what it could be going forward. Karen, that's like music to your ears. I know. Yeah, I love that. Crazy. Right. Oh, my God. I, well, United Rentals had a great mm -hmm. year. I mean, the infrastructure bill, maybe that's part of it. So we've seen it's been it's been a decent place to hide. That and Big Cap Farmer, that makes sense to me as well. Let's get more on where the markets are heading into year-end with Lori Calvacina of RPC Capital Markets. Lori, um, I'm sure you've been listening to our conversation about market leadership. How do you view market leadership in terms of, you know, people are really hoping that big cap tech bounces back along with the markets. Where do you stand on that? So I think you have to be very selective when you think about the tech trade. And I agree with a lot of what was just said. I, you know, I think areas like semiconductor software, some of the tech hardware names are interesting. Um, but I sort of agree that I don't really view consumer-driven Internet as, you know, kind of the, the growth story of yesterday. I don't think that's the growth story in the market going forward. And so I know the valuations are compelling. Um, but I really do think that when you're thinking about leadership, you don't want to just think about what were the growth stocks of yesterday. You want to think about what are the growth stocks of tomorrow. And I did view, you know, sort of Chris's comment on the industrials. Very interesting. That's a conversation I've been having with a lot of investors, whether it's the reshoring thesis, things happening on the ESG front in that sector. Um, just this idea of the reinvigoration as, of the old economy is something a lot of investors I speak with are talking about. So I think you want to really, you know, kind of think about where is the next big growth story in the market coming from? And that's probably what's going to lead us out. Laurie, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So when you think about the industrials, do you imagine a scenario where they get an above market multiple? Because that hasn't been the way for I don't know how long. Well, I think that when sectors transition from value to growth, we often do see a re-rating. And when we look at our valuation model on industrials right now, um, it's a little bit north of neutral. So it's looking a little bit expensive if we do a relative PE and then do a Z-score. It's not looking like it's at peak multiple. So I don't think you even necessarily need at this point to move into kind of a new valuation paradigm argument for industrials. Um, I do think that there's still a little bit of room just on the traditional framework for it to actually make some additional moves. Um, Lori, I, I wanted to talk about some of the, um, you know, some of the things that you're talking about with clients that are out of consensus. And, and you say that clients are excited about European equities on dollar weakness. You think the dollar continues to weaken, continues this recent trend of weakness here? 
Well, you know, what's fascinating about the European discussion and the, the weaker dollar discussion, that's really what I heard, you know, about two weeks ago when I was, uh, you know, traipsing all through Europe talking to European-based equity investors. Uh, once I got back to North America, the excitement about European equities uh, was much less profound. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, but I, what I did try to point out in those conversations with European-based equity investors is if you look at the recent dollar weakness, um, you're going to need to get a lot more of it for it to actually help earnings for the next couple quarters if the dollar just stays flat it's actually still going to be up on a year-over-year basis, and that's still going to bite into earnings. So I do feel like it's maybe a little bit early to start making those weaker dollar plays. Um, but I do think the reversal that we've seen is interesting. It's interesting to me as well that people are just ready for new things to talk about, Melissa. People are tired of talking about the Fed, tired of talking about whether or not we're going to have this recession. Um, all people wanted to talk about in Europe was that move in Europe, that move in the dollar, and the reopening in China. And there was just a sense of relief of maybe there can actually be some new themes to play this year. Or yeah, next year. You're, you're still sticking, though, by your small over large cap stock call that you made in July? We are. And we think there's still room to run here. We've been watching the valuations very, very closely. Back when we upgraded in July to overweight, you were down at around 11 times, which is typically where the forward P.E. troughs out. And it's moved up to around 14 times, but the average is a little over 15. So even on an absolute multiple, you've still got room to run. We also think small caps just did a lot of the hard work early that the S&P is still going through right now to price in a recession. The small caps are already trading like we've had a bigger spike in jobless claims beyond what we've seen. And as though ISM manufacturing is trading down around 40. Um, So it's really, you know, kind of pulled forward, uh, you know, kind of the recessionary impulse that I think the S&P 500 is still trying to digest. Lori, thanks. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Lori Calvacina. Julie Beale, I could I could feel you just being happy and warm all over. You are saying she still loves small caps. Girl after my heart. Um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think the the smaller cap names have really taken it on the chin this year, and earnings have actually held up relatively well, just like everyone else. What I think is always interesting is to look back to the pandemic and see how smaller businesses responded. And they were really nimble about taking down their cost structures and they were really thoughtful about conserving cash. So while I wouldn't jump into small caps with both feet, I think you can be really selective and find the ones that are higher quality. To me, what people are going to really be attracted to through 2023 is going to be earnings durability and feeling confident that the forecasts that are out there are the real forecasts or what's achievable. How's that small cap chart look to you, Chris? Well, it's made no progress since about July, right? So we've been yeah. treading water. I do think there is a desire for these things to work. I think we hear it in our travels and with clients. There's a desire for something new for small caps. But I would pick apart the Europe call here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, what was Europe's biggest headwind over the last 10 years was they didn't have Apple, Microsoft, Google, right? right? They didn't have the big tech weights that were such in demand. That could be an asset here. So I, I'm, I'm very intrigued on the idea that Europe, European industrials, European basic materials, right, those are the big constituents in that part of the world, emerge as more durable leadership. Now, it's hard to reconcile that with German recession or the likes, but there's some clues, I think, that speak to this as a developing theme for 23. We saw a huge run-up that you wrote very yes. nicely, Karen, well, thank and you. have since pulled the ripcord on. Yes, I'll be designed on the yeah. German <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> yes. I, it makes, I mean, it's, you know, as Tim always says, it's, you make the most money when things go from really terrible to just bad. Things were pretty terrible there not long ago. They're not great now. So, but the underperformance for small caps uh, versus large caps has been going on for, I think it's extended 15 years, yeah. 20. I mean, it depends on how you look at it on a chart. It could be more than 15, 20 years with, with a, here, here and there a little bit of a blip. What I found interesting was her dollar call. Mm. So inverse relationship to oil. So if the dollar comes in, oil goes higher. I don't, I mean, I, I had my $65 bet on oil for year end. I got close, but between the U.S. refilling the SPR and between the dollar issues, I, I think I might have to tap out on that. All right. Coming up, the way of water, it is apparently downstream. Disney shares getting hit on the back of Avatar's opening weekend. So is there any magic left in the name? The details straight ahead. Plus, gray clouds for gray scale. What the company plans to do if its conversion to an ETF does, in fact, fail. We're digging into that one when Fast Money returns. Back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. 
Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney, the Dow's worst performer today. The stock tumbling almost 5%. It's now off 9% in just the last five sessions and close to 45% this year. It's just two cents from its lowest level since March 2014. Disney's latest setback, a disappointing opening weekend for Avatar The Way of Water, the sci-fi sequel grabbing $134 million in North America. Industry analysts predicted $150 to $175 million. Welcome back, Bob Iger. Is there any magic left here in the kingdom? Um, Steve, where do you stand on that? So I'm, I'm long it, but if I look back on a chart, this is one that's back at the pandemic low. So if you look at parks, entertainment, and, and everything under that category, I think they did $28 billion. Do we think we're at the pandemic low with Disney right now? Do we think that's the case? That's dire. With, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. We're not but, there. And Bob, Bob Iger is definitely a tail. When he just got back, and I, by the way, I don't see this as a negative when – you know, when we all look at what the returns are in the box office, I think it was the second best box office that they had, with the exception of maybe an Avengers from Disney Marvel Studios. So I, I, I think that we're probably all trying to, not you, but I think we're, we're, we're beating on Disney for the wrong reasons. Uh-huh. But Chris? doesn't this speak to the idea that when you're in the epicenter, right, when you're at the scene of the accident, like these consumer stocks Disney was in COVID, you don't come back as the leader when the cycle turns. I'm, I'm thinking of the banks in like 2009, right? Many of the banks revisited the 2009 lows again in 2011 and 2012, right? They were at the epicenter of 09. Consumer was at the epicenter of 2020. So I think how uh, lethargic and how poor something like Disney acts reflects that. I also think it's a reminder for all of us that good things don't happen below the 200-day. Right. And where's Disney been trading all right? Write that down. Good things don't happen. Chris tells that to his kids every day in the school year. Nothing good good after midnight and nothing good. Find you that after college. (laughs) Things would have been different. Right. Um, It would have been successful. Yeah. You're you're just vulnerable to bad news down there. And then, you know, to apply the Apple analogy here, when you look at the analyst recs, 85 percent of them still have a buy in the stock. I mean, how much worse does it have to get? for the analyst to throw the towel in. If you think back to, to what we're saying, I mean, things aren't going to be the, be the same post-pandemic. Things just aren't. This is, okay, this is what the Disney head of global theatrical distribution said. Although cinemas are open, the appetite for going to them isn't really there. That's what this, that this guy's whole job is to distribute movies in theaters. And he's saying the appetite isn't there. Well, here's the thing I'm sort of surprised. There's a billion eight shares of Disney outstanding. The stock was down $4. That's 7.2 billion, you know, mm-hmm. 0.2 billion on the $20 million miss, on the $2 billion that they need, said they need to, to make uh, to break even. So I, this, this cannot be all of that. And I think when you look at the Disney here versus the Disney of the, the pandemic, that was when streaming was, you know, the next holy grail. And it turned out to just be a really expensive endeavor that turned out to be really difficult to do, very expensive. 
and interest rates went up. Money was no longer free. Disney did the right. Fox deal. Disney has a lot of debt so a now. Lot has, a lot has a lot happened. Has right. Parks but this may is be at, great. But this is, Karen, this is, is at great. the pandemic low, though, I'm talking about. This is not mm. pre-pandemic. This is, and not the run-up mm. after the pandemic. This is the pandemic low where no one was thought to ever go on Space Mountain ever again. <laughs> right? And no one was going to be in a crowd. No one was going to be in a movie theater. No one was going to be doing anything. Uh-huh. This, is, this seems a little bit, a little bit discounted to me. It could be. It, I don't own it. It could be. It wouldn't shock me if it went up. I mean, um, imagine if JPEG were still there as much as I guess people didn't like him. Where would it be today? Uh, Julie? Yeah, I, I think like it's a question of understanding what the fundamental direction is, right? If you think about a company that, that should be benefiting from a Chinese reopening, it's Disney, right? Because we're not going to really see that much improvement in you know, consumer discretionary spend in China on things. It's going to be like it was here on activity. So this should benefit from that, and it should benefit from any incremental reopening. I think what we're seeing in the stock action is just a lot of high expectations around Bob Iger and his ability to execute on a very, very complicated business. It's hard to really predict where the next leg of growth is going to be coming from for Disney. And so I think that's what it has investors pretty uncertain. Yeah. The short interest in the stock is the lowest it's been in 15 years, right? You'd think for a a name that's down as much as it is, that the bears would be out. it's hard to position for a big short squeeze in a bad chart when there's no short interest to squeeze. And I think that's the issue that you have with some of these. That's true in PayPal, that's true in Amazon, that's true in Home Depot. There's no short interest out there. So it's just, if you had to pick one word to characterize a stock, what would it be? Well, I'll pick two words. I think it's okay. dead money for a long time. Dead money. That's, that's four five words. Yeah. <laughs> Six <laughs> words, dead money for dead a long time. Money. Oh, for a okay. long time. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Bitcoin blues. The opportunity for Grayscale to convert its crypto trust into an ETF is getting smaller day by day. What the company plans to do if its efforts fail and what it means for the industry. Plus, consumer cutbacks. Inflation may be starting to moderate, but this holiday, even high-end shoppers are putting a pause on swiping. So which stocks are going to be left at checkout? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Last week, we talked about the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trading at a discount to the value of its assets. This product has had a longstanding hope to become an ETF as Bitcoin's popularity surge. But with the recent crypto collapse, it appears Grayscale's dreams are fading with it. CEO Michael Sonnenschein joined Squawk Box this morning to talk about possible next steps. I published a year-end letter today to my investors, and I did share that in the event we exhaust all of our legal and judicial processes around converting to an ETF, challenging this SEC denial, we would then consider being able to do a tender offer for a portion of the shares. Doesn't mean we necessarily will, but I want investors to know that we're prepared the same way we were with our lawsuit when the SEC denied us. So what what could this mean for Grayscale and long-suffering GBTC shareholders. Uh, Karen, you've been taking a look at this. I mean, this would be, he, he made it clear that this could happen in the case that they exhausted all, you know, all these different avenues. Mm-hmm. It's a possibility. Right, so you gotta, if this, this, yeah, this, yeah. this, and discount that to, well, that's a lot of things that have to happen just for a 20% tender, which I think the idea is put the news out there, hope for some sort of floor on the stock or maybe a change in sentiment. Um, I, I don't think it's nearly enough at all. I appreciate they want, I mean, getting it converted to an ETF is by far the much, much, much bigger deal. I do think, though, that we're still, there are still, a few, so DCG, which owns almost 10%, right? And then they're tied in with Genesis. I feel like- They owe money to they, Genesis. They owe money they're to Genesis. I feel like mm-hmm. there is still more kind of collapse to come. 
And I don't know that there's any mathematical floor one needs to have in the GBTC discount. Um, I mean, it's, I, I think there has been front running of the expectation of more bad things to come, and that's why it's here. But um, I can't help think there are still more bad things to come. And we saw Silvergate Bank, which right. we've been watching, um, that's trading down well uh, half of book value right now, which seemed to me to some would be a hard book. But um, I don't own it, and I covered it way, way, way too high. Yeah, it does, it does feel like this is an effort to sort of prop up this whole DCG, digital currency group, empire by doing this to, you know, offer some sort of possible floor to GBTC in order for DCG um, to pay back Genesis in order for this whole thing to work. Um, Chris, what's your what's your take on, I don't know, GBTC or Silvergate for that matter? I mean, let's just look at the fact pattern here from the summer when we first started to see signs of stress or actually even before that, a year ago when Bitcoin started to break. Right. But when you started to lose some of the companies one by one by one, I I think we know how this is going to end. I think we've seen this before. But I would just point out two things. While Bitcoin has not made a new low here, Coinbase yeah. has. And the bond, I think, Karen, you mentioned today, we're trading 50 cents, right? Uh, yeah, 50 cents. Somewhere right. in the ballpark. So you, you kind of put the facts together. The bonds are trading 50. The stock's at a new low. Um, I don't think this ends particularly well for Coinbase, for GPTC. And I think that's the methods uh, of the market here. But it does have cash. I mean, Coinbase has cash and it has some time. Right. right. The debt like doesn't dire. mature in the near term. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But caught up in this whole GBTC is a lot of shareholders that sort of have nothing to do with this whole being over levered or not. It was just a way to own Bitcoin. And that's really unfortunate. I don't know if that I mean, if that weighs on the SEC's thinking about making it an ETF. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, ARK Invest, one of the biggest holders of of GBTC. So this whole thing is very intertwined, Julie, in terms of all the things that can collapse around this. It's sort of like the Real Housewives of Crypto, if you think about it. It's just, <laughs> it's like she's connected to her and this. And it's just really hard to follow along if you're just a regular investor like me. I, I continue to believe that the problem with Bitcoin continues to be that you know there's, the use case for it to me is just not that clear. And without that, it's really hard to see corporations getting enthusiastic about holding it on balance sheets or, or anything like that. And without that kind of proper ability to transact, it, I just don't see the, the the point for these you know exchanges to really exist. So. I continue to believe that this isn't a very investable class. And I think there's lots of interesting things you can do on an option side. But but for us, as kind of long-term stodgy investors, no thank you. How can we quantify, though, the FTX uh, issue that we, the scandal that we saw with FTX with people investing into these things now? So I think to your point, where if with Coinbase or GBTC, if you don't understand it, you're not going to invest in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So before people didn't understand it and they invested in it, figured it was going up because <laughs> yeah. everything was going up. And now I think the marginal buyer is not there. Oh, no. Well, also, just think of how the language of this has changed over the years. Right. Bitcoin used to be called a cryptocurrency. Right. That was the goal. Right. Now it's just called crypto. I'm not quite sure what the use case of this is uh, here. And I think the behavioral inference and the name change is notable. Coming up, health of wealth. How high-end consumers are cutting back as inflation fears linger. We got the details next. Plus, one pharma name seeing a huge move higher. And some action piquing our interest. The details on that trade when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing out in the red to kick off the week as hopes of a year-end rally begin to dwindle. All three major indices notching their fourth straight day of losses. The Dow dropping more than 160 points. The S&P down nearly 1%. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly 1.5%. Energy, the only sector in the green today, led by names like Marathon, SLB, Chevron, Halliburton, and Hess, all seeing small gains. Meantime, as we enter the final stretch of the holiday shopping season, we are looking for signs of how much lingering inflation is weighing on the consumer. And one potentially troubling sign, CNBC's latest millionaire survey suggests that even the usually price insensitive luxury shopper is, in fact, feeling the pinch this year. Our very own Robert Frank has the very latest on this. Robert. 
Melissa, this is the group that's supposed to be spending, right? But instead we get more cost cutting, fewer restaurant meals and trimming holiday spending. Even millionaires are cutting back due to inflation. In fact, 80% of American millionaires say they plan to spend less this holiday season. That's according to our CNBC Millionaire Survey. We poll investors with a million dollars or more in investable assets. Younger millionaires, well, they are cutting the most. Virtually all the millennial millionaires we surveyed said they are planning to spend less due to inflation. Baby boomers, it's about 78% who plan to spend less and more than half of millionaires are price conscious or more price conscious when they're shopping. This may be why we see more six-figure earners shopping at Walmart these days. A third of millionaires, meanwhile, are cutting back on restaurants. 28% cutting back on eliminating major purchases. And they think inflation is going to stick around for a while. Most millionaires say inflation will be here for at least a year or more. But Melissa, they do have faith in the Fed. 58% saying they are confident or very confident in the Fed's ability to manage inflation. Robert, this isn't your first rodeo. I mean, you've done this survey in the past, and I'm wondering if, if you notice the highest correlation in terms of, of high-end consumers feeling the pinch. I mean, is, is it the stock market that's a main driver? Or what is it, in your view? It's the mood, Melissa, and it's mm-hmm. the stock market. It's the fears of recession. Remember, most wealthy investors either are a top executive of a company or they own a business or they run a business. So most companies right now, even though their numbers may look strong, next year they're looking at reducing their investment, cutting costs, cutting the labor force, and all the talk they hear around the tables that they're at are of recession next year. So, so much of the spending by the wealthy is purely discretionary. It's trips, it's fancy restaurants, it's expensive luxury things. And that spending, as soon as the mood darkens, just shuts off like a light switch. So I think that's what we could see early next year. All right, Robert, thanks so much. Great to see you as always, Robert Frank. Well, it's not just the high end that's feeling the squeeze. Lenders like Capital One and Ally Financial that largely serve lower end consumers are trading at 52 week lows. So how worried should we be about the state of the U.S. consumer with the high end and the low end, Karen. Well, there's a couple things going on in there, what you're saying. So Capital One and um, is, is sort of a, somewhat of a read through of credit quality, right? right? Not just overall spend. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are going to see credit quality worsen. There's no other way for it to go. It's been extraordinarily good due to the stimulus. And um, so I think that's going to happen. I, um, I'm not quite as pessimistic. I always believe that the consumer is there at some level in some way. Uh, maybe it's TJX. Um, but I, it's not great. There, I, I have to admit that. It is, it is not great. I don't think it's going to be a big problem for the major banks. Um, but I'm a little concerned, to be honest. Yeah. Julie, how are you feeling about the consumer? We've got Nike earnings this week, so we'll get a read through there. I think Nike will be a really, really interesting one because they just have such a a wide net that they cast in terms of different consumers from different groups. I think it's interesting, you know, so much of what the U.S. economy is, is built on the confidence, right? And so the confidence that businesses have to spend and make investments and hire and the confidence that consumers have to, you know, buy things for themselves, durable goods, et cetera. And I think both sides of that equation are softening pretty materially. And so even if there's not quite the softness in the economy that we expect on the labor market front, I think that the the confidence could lead to softness and investment such that we actually, you know, the the recession becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy. Even if you have a job, your neighbor might get laid off. (laughs) That's not going to make you want to spend more money, that's for sure. Yeah, and and there's also the perception that you don't want to be seen as the person who's throwing money around and going on trips and bragging about whatever whatever it is. Um, But when you look at the consumer, there was so much money thrown at the consumer during the pandemic and then out of the pandemic. The problem, though, is isn't this what the Fed wants to cause? Right? Yes. Absolutely. This is mission accomplished. Right. Right? So they want to hurt the economy. They want to stop Well, it's spending. byproduct of mission it's accomplished. Mission yeah, accomplished yeah, yeah. is inflation. Right. Is, is, is battling inflation. inflation. Right. But what they want to do is stop the, the spending. Right? So inflation by its nature. Right? Too many chasing too few. So they want to, they want to kill off those that are chasing it. So I'm not sure who this hurts or how it hurts, but effectively, to Julie's point, it's perception's reality. If, if you want to stop spending, you stop spending. 
But let's talk about the market implications of this. You know, when you go back and you think about the bear market rallies we've had this year, March, this summer, perhaps this one, what do they all have in common? Discretionary has been very, very tepid off the low. That is not what you get in a new bull market in a new cycle. You get dominant leadership from the consumer. So I think if we're going to really flip the call and say, okay, this rally looks like it's the real deal, something has changed, it has to be led by consumer discretionary stocks. It's what we've seen over the last 50 or 60 years. I think the read-through on Capital One and on Ally is a very, very important message that, hey, maybe things aren't okay here. Coming up, one pharma stock more than tripling today, but it was the options move on Friday that really caught our eye. What we spotted in the pits next, plus Musk asked, Musk asked, Twitter answered. But could stepping down as a Bluebird CEO be a boon for Tesla stock? The details on his possible poll troll when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing out in the red to kick off the week as hopes of a year-end rally begin to dwindle. All three major indices notching their fourth straight day of losses. The Dow dropping more than 160 points. The S&P down nearly 1%. And the Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly 1.5%. Energy, the only sector in the green today, led by names like Marathon, SLB, Chevron, Halliburton, and Hess, all seeing small gains. Meantime, as we enter the final stretch of the holiday shopping season, we are looking for signs of how much lingering inflation is weighing on the consumer. And one potentially troubling sign, CNBC's latest millionaire survey suggests that even the usually price insensitive luxury shopper is, in fact, feeling the pinch this year. Our very own Robert Frank has the very latest on this. Robert. Melissa, this is the group that's supposed to be spending, right? But instead, we get more cost-cutting, fewer restaurant meals, and trimming holiday spending. Even millionaires are cutting back due to inflation. In fact, 80% of American millionaires say they plan to spend less this holiday season. That's according to our CNBC Millionaire Survey. We poll investors with a million dollars or more in investable assets. Younger millionaires, well, they are cutting the most. Virtually all the millennial millionaires we surveyed said they are planning to spend less due to inflation. Baby boomers, it's about 78% who plan to spend less, and more than half of millionaires are price conscious or more price conscious when they're shopping. This may be why we see more six-figure earners shopping at Walmart these days. A third of millionaires, meanwhile, are cutting back on restaurants, 28% cutting back on eliminating major purchases, and they think inflation's gonna stick around for a while. Most millionaires say inflation will be here for at least a year or more. But Melissa, they do have faith in the Fed, 58% saying they're confident or very confident in the Fed's ability to manage inflation. Robert, this isn't your first rodeo. I mean, you've done this survey in the past, and I'm wondering if if you notice the highest correlation in terms of, of high-end consumers feeling the pinch. I mean, is, is it the stock market that's a main driver? Or what is it, in your view? It's the mood, Melissa, and it's mm-hmm. the stock market. It's the fears of recession. Remember, most wealthy investors either are a top executive of a company or they own a business or they run a business. So most companies right now, even though their numbers may look strong, next year they're looking at reducing their investment, cutting costs, cutting the labor force, and all the talk they hear around the tables that they're at are of recession next year. So, so much of the spending by the wealthy is purely discretionary. It's trips, it's fancy restaurants, it's expensive luxury things. And that spending, as soon as the mood darkens, just shuts off like a light switch. So I think that's what we could see early next year. All right, Robert, thanks so much. Great to see you as always, Robert Frank. Well, it's not just the high end that's feeling the squeeze. Lenders like Capital One and Ally Financial that largely serve lower end consumers are trading at 52 week lows. So how worried should we be about the state of the U.S. consumer with the high end and the low end, Karen. Well, there's a couple of things going on in there, what you're saying. So Capital One and um, is, is sort of a, somewhat of a read through of credit quality, right. right? Not just overall spend. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are going to see credit quality worsen. There's no other way for it to go. It's been extraordinarily good due to the stimulus. And um, so I think that's going to happen. I, um, I'm not quite as pessimistic. I always believe that the consumer is there at some level in some way. Uh, maybe it's TJX. Um, but I, it's not great. There, I, I have to admit that. It is, it is not great. I don't think it's going to be a big problem for the major banks. Um, but I'm a little concerned, to be honest. 
Yeah. Julie, how are you feeling about the consumer? We've got Nike earnings this week, so we'll get a read through there. Yeah, I think Nike will be a really, really interesting one because they just have such a, a wide net that they cast in terms of different consumers from different groups. I think it's interesting, you know, so much of what the U.S. economy is, is built on the confidence, right? And so the confidence that businesses have to spend and make investments and hire and the confidence that consumers have to, you know, buy things for themselves, durable goods, et cetera. And I think both sides of that equation are softening pretty materially. And so even if there's not quite the softness in the economy that we expect on the labor market front, I think that the the confidence could lead to softness and investment such that we actually, you know, the the recession becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy. Even if you have a job, your neighbor might get laid off. That's not going to make you want to spend more money, that's for sure. Yeah, and and there's also the perception that you don't want to be seen as the person who's throwing money around and going on trips and bragging about whatever whatever it is. Um, But when you look at the consumer, there was so much money thrown at the consumer during the pandemic and then out of the pandemic. The problem, though, is isn't this what the Fed wants to cause? Right? Yes. Absolutely. This is mission accomplished. Right. Right? So they want to hurt the economy. They want to stop Well, it's spending. byproduct of mission it's accomplished. Mission yeah. accomplished yeah. is inflation. Right. Is, is, is battling inflation. inflation right. But what they want to do is stop the, the spending, right? So inflation by its nature, right? Too many chasing too few. So they want to, they want to kill off those that are chasing it. So I'm not sure who this hurts or how it hurts, but effectively, to Julie's point, it's perception's reality. If, if you want to stop spending, you stop spending. But let's talk about the market implications of this. You know, when you go back and you think about the bear market rallies we've had this year, March, this summer, perhaps this one, what do they all have in common? Discretionary has been very, very tepid off the low. That is not what you get in a new bull market in a new cycle. You get dominant leadership from the consumer. So I think if we're going to really flip the call and say, okay, this rally looks like it's the real deal, something has changed, it has to be led by consumer discretionary stocks. It's what we've seen over the last 50 or 60 years. I think the read-through on Capital One and on Ally is a very, very important message that, hey, maybe things aren't okay here. Coming up, one pharma stock more than tripling today, but it was the options move on Friday that really caught our eye. What we spotted in the pits next, plus Musk asked, Musk asked, Twitter answered. But could stepping down as a Bluebird CEO be a boon for Tesla stock? The details on his possible poll troll when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla ending in the red today, even on word that Elon Musk may be stepping down as head of Twitter. Musk ran an informal Twitter poll asking whether he should bow out as CEO and saying he would abide by the decision. More than 57 percent voted that he should. Shares of Tesla initially jumped on the news, but eventually hit a new two-plus year low during the session. Oppenheimer also downgrading the stock on Twitter-related risks. This comes on the two-year anniversary of its addition to the S&P 500. Has not been a good ride. Um, Chris, where do you see this going here? Well, the chart's broken, and I think okay. we know that. Um, it's probably oversold. I, I want to respect the oversold condition. 170, 180 would be a level where I would look to fade rallies. I think that'd be about the best you do here on a bounce. But again, let's apply our logic. A lot of things from this era have gone back to where they were pre-COVID. Where's that on Tesla? 75 bucks. I- is that an appropriate longer-term target? It may be, it may not be, but at least gives us some type of a framework here. What's most important is the trend is down. And when you're in a downtrend, you have to be very, very skeptical of rallies. And I think investors who view the news, he may be stepping down as uh, Twitter CEO as a bullish event. Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't seem like a very serious reason to be long the stock. Right. He said that there is no predecessor, that there's no successor really in the wings here. I mean, who could possibly run Twitter, Karen? I don't know. I can't imagine who who would want to do it. Who would? I mean, it seems like a terrible job. Literally, the only person I can think of is Ken Feinberg. I don't know if you guys remember Ken Feinberg. Yeah. I think he ran the 9/11. I, I mean, I, he was a very serious guy. Every really, really he ran hard a lot job of, in America. Ken Feinberg has. Yes, been he seems to be. For. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what he's up to. Ken, I don't know. I don't know if you're the guy, um, but it seems like a horrific job. Right. Yeah. Which just means that maybe Elon stays there a little bit longer than we all think. And maybe that's why Tesla's share price didn't I, well, I hold think on a, to gains. I, th- I think a lot, of this, a lot of this is him creating traffic on Twitter, which he's very good at doing. But to Chris's point on Tesla, 
Every time we've bet against Elon Musk, there's always something he pulls out of the hat. Now, I, I don't know if he's running out of rabbits I, I at this point. Maybe he doesn't even have a hat rabbits anymore. Rabbits diminishing return at this point. I mean, I, what other rabbit is going to come out of his hat at this point? I, I don't know, but every time I've seen, when we first started investing in Tesla, we said, no, it's not a car company, it's a battery company. No, it's not a battery company, it's a technology company. Now you don't want it to be No, he's got SpaceX, he's got Twitter, he's got, he's got uh, Tesla. I, I don't know. I, I hate to be betting against Elon Musk ever. Yeah, don't forget the brief foray into crypto that we thought was going to happen. Julie, <laughs> how do you feel about Tesla? Uh, you know, I think it, I think investors realize it doesn't actually matter if he's on the board of uh, if he runs Twitter or not. What matters are the debt payments that he's got. And if he continues to have more of these debt payments and he can't refinance that debt, he has to sell more Tesla stock. And I think that's what just continues to put downward pressure I don't think Tesla investors really even care that much what he's doing. They'd like him to just maybe be a little bit quieter. That would be nice. But I think, you know, his ability to run this business has been problematic at best um, and certainly has been flagrantly in violation of so many different kinds of laws. So I think overall, it's not a great place to be, but for Mm -hmm. sure, shareholders don't want him there anymore. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Julie. I like Bentley Securities. I like this concept of infrastructure and industrials and that software that helps people do that. Chris Barone. I like Lockheed Martin LMT Long. I don't think this Ukraine-Russia thing's over. Uh, Steve Grasso. Uh, Disney. I really love the level. Use an $80 stop. Save the clip one way or another. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so Ulta, which several weeks ago had great earnings of the stocks down, I don't know, 40 plus from there. So uh, I liked it here. Right. times. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.